0: Now, don't feel bad, because there's no way you could have known about this prior to today. But former presidents Abraham Lincoln and Barack Obama, then Albert Einstein, Nikola Tesla, Elon Musk, Jodie Foster, even Hillary Clinton, we all share something and have something in common. You know, others do too. But there's no way you could have known about this until today. But all of us are what they call INTJs. So, that's Introverted, Knowledgeable Thinking, and Judgmental. Yeah, we're, we're pretty damn smart. And we're, yeah, pretty damn special. Now, I know when it comes to me, you're thinking more like Special Ed, Special K. But don't diminish people that really are Special ed. I'm not that kind of special. So, it's basically, if you've never taken the Myers-Briggs Young typology It is a personality indicator, right? So Myers and Briggs came out with this idea. There are 16 personality types. Now, Dr. Carl Jung, before he died in 1961, he actually had the idea that there's 32. Yeah, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to just 16, but somehow they came around and they did it. And while INTJs are, you know, we're pretty spectacular, we're not as spectacular and limited like my wife. My wife's an INFJ. That's rare. I mean, we're talking like, you know, Chinese 18th century vase rare. Uh, There's probably a lot of vases, vases, however you want to say it. But yeah, she's got one of the rarest type personalities and she's smart as hell. I'm highly intelligent, but not Elon Musk not Nikola Tesla, you know, not these great minds. I mean, you know, when you look at them and look at what they contributed to society and how they did these things, it brings a lot into mind. If you don't know what you are, you ought to Google Myers-Briggs Young Typology. Get on there, take the test, see what you are. It's one thing to acknowledge all of us have some kind of unique thing that's set just to us, right? But then you look at your profiles and you say, wow, I'm on this same level. I've got the same personality as somebody like, okay, Nikola Tesla, or it could be Arthur Ash. Arthur Ash is also an IATJ. You know, but you look at these and you're finding out that you're something else. You know, you've got the personality, you've got the introverted or the extroverted. I'm an introvert, which is kind of odd because when I'm teaching, when I'm doing safety-related things, when I'm working with clients. I'm more on the extroverted side. And I think that's why, you know, when you look at Myers-Briggs, people are like, how could you only be this type? But then in another environment, you're this. It's the environment. The environment is what makes or breaks us. You know, to truly know yourself, you have to know that when you're around family and friends, you get to acting a, a different way, right? Because you know, with some people... You could be all out you, all out Island. you know, I'm going around and talking shit and cooking and having a good time. But then once I've done that, it takes a minute to recover because I'm going outside of my normal personality trait, right? That introverted, knowledgeable thinking, judgmental. And that's the downside too. that judgmental, that other side, man. It, I hate to say this, but people that know me, my wife, my family, you know, my true friends, the people that actually know me outside, you know, that that circumstantial friendship that you get once you're in work or, you know, you're in a sporting club, whether it's golfing or bowling, you know, but the friends are like I told you about previously with Gene Hempel and the last thing. You may not see each other for long periods of time. You may not talk to each other for long periods of time. But when you do call them, when you do reach out, when you do say, hey, God, my hand's out, please send somebody here, they show up and say, what the fuck did you do now? I mean, think about it. We all have a different view on many different things. But one of the things that's really hard to view is ourself. So take a moment, if you've never taken it before, again, just type in, you know, do a free one. You don't have to go to the Myers-Briggs website and take the whole thing. It it gives you a better in-depth thing. It gives you things that are like... With your personality, this is the best type of job for you. For your intellectual side, this is the best type for you. Uh, This is your best match, you know, because, I mean, my wife's an introvert. I'm an introvert. How the hell do you get that? You know, because if you got two people that need that distancing, that needs that isolation and that self-time, you would think, well, somebody has to be, you know, on the excitable side. Somebody has to be the extrovert and get things going. No. No. We could sit across each other for hours, and she'll look at me and she'll say, "Shut up!" And I'll say, "Damn, it's about time." I was just going on for hours. We're balanced. It's like I said on you know other podcasts when you have that magnetic attraction, right? Because you have the negative and the positive, and we're going to bind together. Uh, it's not it's not so much that you have opposing factors, but you know you have these different subsets too. So when you think about yourself think about, I need to take the Myers-Briggs. I want to see what my personality type is. I want to see where I'm at and who I'm aligned with. It doesn't mean that you're going to be best buds or you guys could hang out and collectively, you know, solve world problems or hell, even local community problems. But it gives you an idea, you know, when you think about things, because everybody's like, I wonder if there's anybody out there like me. We don't want to feel alone, right? Even though, as an introvert, I need time alone. Uh, I have to, you know, collect myself. Again, it it depends on the situation. If I'm given a class, I could sit there and talk with those groups for hours. I love to train. I love to teach. I love to communicate. As you can tell from the podcast, I've got to do better at this. I'm hopefully I get as good as podcasting as I do with the safety and the consulting and the training and doing stuff like that. There's hope. I mean. Comparatively, looking at who I have the same personality traits of, look at them. Hillary Clinton, you know, she had to do public speaking. Abraham Lincoln, well-spoken. Elon Musk, for them to become great, they had to communicate, get their ideas out, find like-minded people. You know, the true introvert in the group, I would probably have to say would be Nikola Tesla, uh, because where he was constantly inventing and constantly doing this. So take your test. Find out what your personality is like. Now, what's kind of funny, you know, because people will bitch and moan about all kinds of different things. Yes, I know it's not a true indication of who you are. It's just what your personality is. You may be something completely different because people will bitch and moan and say, well, you know, Myers-Briggs is not accurate. But if you research it and you look at the, you know, information behind it and how it's compared and how they came out with the relevance, you can see yourself in that. Just like people look at their astrological signs, right? So, if you believe that, I'm a Capricorn. Capricorns are considered to be intelligent, uh, smart-assed, yeah, quite a few. Uh, We can be a little distant, a little aloof, we're always trying to achieve higher, and that's true. But I can tell you other Capricorns within that same uh, lineage as I am, you know, within a week or so, different cuss, different things like that, completely opposite. Kindest persons you ever saw were completely introverted, don't want a damn thing to do with anybody. But again, it's the environment. It's how you're brought up. There's so many different things about it. You know, and when you look at it, you can't just look at one face because we're going to find things like I told you in the last podcast that are comfortable to us. And that's the hard part is to recognize, no, I don't have faults like that. I don't have that. And then you look a little deeper and say, well, I do. It's just not as rigid as that sounds. It's just not as uh, flagrant as they say it is in this test or in my responses. But is it really? Or are you just kind of patting it a little bit itself? To find yourself, to be comfortable with yourself, you got to look at everything. You may not be able to change anything. You may not be able to say, well, you know, I'm in my thirties, I'm in my forties, this is set Nothing's set. Nothing is set. Remember, I told you, anything you can think of, you can do. Remember in the last podcast, you know, with Fleetwood Mac and everything, I said if the Wright brothers could conceive the idea to fly, not knowing about propeller-driven or jet engine aircraft or anything like that, you could change anything. You just have to know with what you're working with. You have to know the recipes and the ingredients that combine to make you think about that. How scary would that be? You know, because a lot of people, they're so worried about their background, why they're so ill, why they have all these things going on. A lot of them are doing DNA testing. And it's so funny, you know, because when they get that, those markers back and they say, wait, I'm from Germany. I'm from Austria. How the hell am I from Africa too? And because they forgot their geography and science and historical lessons, they forgot about the shifting of the tectonic plates, you know, and how the countries separated later. You know, there was probably a larger landmass in which we moved. And obviously, to keep warm, we moved with the sun. So people went to the equator below it. Their skin pigmentation, everything changed. And then the landmasses separated through you know, events that happened underground and geologically where it starts shifting. We had North America, South America, Africa, Australia, all the different plates set. They forget we all come from somewhere. And it could have been at one point in history, altogether, we were the same. Let's break it down into what makes us different. Let's look at our ingredients. You may be a salty, you know, payday candy bar and I'm just a big almond joy, but our course are going to be the same, but it's going to be interesting to find out where you come from, where you could potentially go, who you're similar to that could inspire you to take that next step forward. You know, it's like they, they've said before, don't tell me there's footprints on the moon when I can go further. Don't stop. And when we get back, we'll talk about identifying never meeting another stranger. We'll get to that in just a moment. (music) so
1: Alan Wolford has produced this podcast for entertainment purposes. Neither this nor any other podcast he produced constitute legal, medical, marital, sexual, or professional advice. The opinions and views presented by Alan are his own and do not reflect the views or opinions of employers, clients, family, Facebook groupies, promotional sponsors, or baby Jesus. Any health information shared or mentioned as an alternative does not create any patient physician relationship or other professional relationship between the audience and the presenters. No person listening to any podcast or this rocket surgeon should act or refrain from acting based on the content of a podcast without first seeking appropriate professional advice and or counseling. Nor shall the information be used to substitute for professional advice and counseling. As stated earlier, this show is for entertainment purposes, not how to lead or change your life. Do what is best for you or what your spouse approves of. Alan Wolford and all guests of the show expressly disclaim all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any and all contents of this site.
0: Stop the search for something intellectual and fulfilling. You've tuned into the Diary of a Bald Man. And there is no going back. Let the moaning, groaning, and
1: bitching begin in five, four, three,
0: two, one. Hey, sinners. Welcome back to the shit show. This is Alan Wolford, and you're listening to Diary of a Bald Man. So, welcome back. You know, one of the things where we're talking about, yeah, the, the name of the show is I Never Met a Stranger Until I Met Me. You know, it, it's a true story. From the first time I remember traveling back in 1974 when we went to the Philippines, uh, it, it was it's kind of hard to explain. You know, I met a lot of people. Uh, being in Montana, I I just saw the people that were constantly and consistently around me, but they really weren't strangers. It's not like I, you know, hold up with them or went out and did things. But when dad got reassigned and we went to Clark Air Force Base just before, uh, the fall of Saigon and, you know, the withdrawal and everything, uh, we got into the Philippines and we got our house, if I remember correctly, it was in Angeles City, um, And our house lady, Minerva, who was a local Filipina, uh, she took me out and my sisters as well, but mostly she'd take me to go to her parents' house. and They they had a big laundry service, open tubs, they used wooden paddles, they'd mix, they'd clean, they'd iron. I remember lots and lots of sheets and shirts and things. So I don't know if it was for a hotel or for some type of business. But what was great was we'd get in there and I I could not speak Tagalog. I could not speak any bit. I mean, I could say a few words now. Salamapo, Mahakita, Mahakita, Habangkoy, Nububuhay, Inde, Uh-oh. You know, just simple phrases you pick up. And, you know, I got introduced to the family through coffee. Now, it sounds like an oddity, but the reason we had coffee in the Philippines, we could not drink the local water. We'd have to go on base with like these five-gallon collapsible jugs. And we went to like a gas station. We'd fill them up and we'd bring them off base. So what they would do is they'd boil the water like you would for coffee. And they made instant coffee. But it was a sweet coffee. It had some kind of creamer. It's not the powdered creamer like we have today. Uh, And they'd put like a syrup... Uh, probably like a Cairo syrup. I do remember one was kind of clear. Not a lot, just a little bit. And that's how I became a coffee addict. But what was funny, what, what made it so easy to communicate with them, we'd sit there and we'd have coffee. And it's also the first time I ever saw a chess game and where I started to pick up and love the game. And without speaking a single word, they'd show me which piece could move in which direction. How far it could travel, what it could do, what it couldn't do, and without speaking a single word, I started to learn chess. I did not become proficient at. It. That's just where I picked up because I thought it was more amazing than Chinese checkers, uh, or Chinese yeah Chinese checkers, checkers, and things like that. To me, it was a magical game. So I never met a stranger, you know. Even though I couldn't communicate, while we were sitting there having coffee, Minerva was getting. Uh, some stuff to help her mom make lumpia and pants it uh, for us to take back to the house. Oh my God, if you've never had lumpia, think of you go to a Chinese restaurant, if you've never had Filipino food, and you get a spring roll. But that spring roll is about the size of your pinky um, lengthwise. It's not very big at all, but it's probably as thick and as dense as your ring finger. And it had, the ones we had, had pork. Cabbage, ginger. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was a form of uh, not coleslaw, but it it had like a cabbage that was very unique, more more in line to like you would see with kimchi, Korean food. Uh, ginger, spices, and it was so amazing. And the pansit, think of like spaghetti noodles with you know same thing. It'd have carrots. Uh, they'd have other vegetables and stuff in it. And it would have meats. Uh, I think the one we had that time was chicken. or It may have been a mixture of chicken, but it had some kind of fish and shrimp style too. So it was amazing watching them cook. And they'd hand me these lumpia wrappers and they'd stuff it and, you know, show me how to roll it and everything. But it was really unique. You know, again, never met a stranger. Well, time goes on. You know, my time... Traveling around with my dad, we go to Guam, same thing occurs. You know, it's, they speak English. They It's predominantly English. You know, it's a territory. And then through other places in my life, I've had the unique ability to go up and just start talking to people. You know, it, my wife and them laugh because I go into store. Hey, Alan, you know, I, I call up a restaurant to order her salad. Hey, Alan, you want the usual for Because I make that unique experience when I meet them to say, hey, how are you doing today? My name's Alan. What's yours? And then we go into the order selection. Um, I used to to love meeting somebody new. But on that same side, if I don't like somebody, if I come into a room, you know, I'll let you know. Either by my facial expression or something. It's just if I don't like somebody, everybody knows it. Because I can't go up. So, I don't know if we just get a feeling or a vibe or, you know, there's something where I'm able to detect. If I'm not going to like somebody... I may talk to you. I'll be courteous to you. But you're going to know, hey, this is not something that's going to develop. And so when we do these things, it took me years and years to realize this. You know, when we do these things, we look, like I told you on some of the previous podcasts, when we mirror one another. If I go in angry, you know, people are going to be angry because they're going to see that and they're going to buckle and they're going to protect themselves. So they're going to get in that defensive mindset. And others... We'll see that. And then they'll use their skills to de-escalate and bring you down. So think about this with yourself. When you go up to people, anybody, anybody, when you, when you approach them, are you going to them with that open gesture, that open look, you know, not immediately smiling. You, you don't need to do that, but just go in and you have that calm demeanor, you know, and that's the thing. When you go up to a stranger, you know, you want to have the ability to reach out, to communicate, to extend your hand, to say, hey, how are you? My name's Alan. Your name's Bill. Uh, I heard that you do these things for engineering. I heard that you have this. And then you get to know the individual. And then over time, you know, as you get to see him other events, as you get to see them in the office space and things like that, you get to know the workers. You get to know the people around. You get the people that are in your spaces. But what I'm talking about You know, when we're talking about meeting strangers, the biggest thing for me was I didn't know myself. And that that sounds strange to a lot of people, but you have to think about this. Like I said, in 74, 75, went to the Philippines, right? Then just a few years later, you know, we come back, CONUS, Continental United States, and then we go to Guam. Similar cultures to what we had in the Philippines. You know, not as impoverished because it was, uh, or it is a actual... U.S. territory, but same mentality. You go out into the villages, we could drink the water there. They'd have similar foods, you know, you'd have Micronesian style, you'd have Korean, Japanese, because of the Japanese influence during World War II when they were in possession of Guam. So, it's kind of unique for me that I come to Tennessee, and, you know, I'm working on the project over in Greenville at U.S. Nitrogen, And I've got all these people that know one another. Part of it is from their workplace, right? So they develop these friendships, stuff like that. But what was unique and exciting for me, because after being in the military and then traveling around, you know, for law enforcement and specialized security and protective services and working as a bodyguard, one of the reasons I excelled in that is because growing up, I had such a diverse background. I didn't have any set idiosyncrasies. I didn't have a set mindset on culture and diversity and exclusion and inclusion because every time I went somewhere because I didn't meet a stranger I picked up on their cultures I picked up on the ways that they did things when I was traveling around the U.S. Alaska Hawaii Wake Island I was able to pick up and mimic the environment I was in so I was immediately accepted because I'd see how people address one another I'd see how you know they ate Uh, what they did to hang out, things like this. I may not have participated in all of it, but because of that multicultural background and exposure I had as a child, I didn't have anything of my own. I didn't. But it took coming to Tennessee for me to find that. And what was so strange, you know, again, we're in Greenville. We're at the U.S. Nitrogen Project. And I'm seeing my wife. And I'm seeing my friends and associates and the people I'm working with. And I, I'd be sitting there and they'd be talking about, oh, you remember when we were kids and we did this? And I was like, what is that? And I said, what do you mean what's that? And I'll just use snipe hunting as an example, right? I didn't never heard of snipe hunting until we came back, CONUS, uh, back to the continental U.S. It amazed me because they grew up and experienced things together. Where there is hunting, fishing, snipe hunting. Uh, going to the fair, going to special events, going to, you know, all these different things that was the culture of the area, that was the background of the area. And here I was and people were asking me, oh, Alan, what's your favorite music? And it's very diverse. You know, like I said in in the previous podcast, Ozzy's always been my favorite, you know, Fleetwood Mac, all these different things, but I also like, because where I grew up overseas, You know, a lot of people over there love orchestra music and they love, you know, uh, Beethoven and they love different things because of the passion beside the music. Yeah, they listen to American music, you know, music from other countries too, but orchestra was a huge thing. I didn't know it was my favorite. I could not tell you anything about myself. I could tell you where I'd been, what I ate, what I experienced. I had not personally developed... Anything. Not a damn thing. You know, and people laugh when they hear that. And I said, I really don't. You know, my wife will tell you, my favorite food in the world is chicken and dumplings. You know, I love other foods. I love Asian food, Korean food, Vietnamese food. Absolutely. But I never told people that for the simple fact I can't say, oh, I'd love some pho. Oh, I'd love some real Mongolian beef without all these fucking broccoli sprouts in it. Because, you know, the the things that we do to Americanized foods and fillers and stuff, you don't do in other countries. They have some things, but not to the extent that we do here. You know, it's crazy when you think about it. So with the background that I had, the way I worked out problems varied. I didn't know who I was, so I couldn't fix things initially. You know, in 2007, When I almost pulled the trigger, there was so much going on in my mind. I didn't know how to reach out because that had not been something that I'd ever seen before. In the villages and the communities I lived in overseas, if somebody had a a problem, the whole village took care of it, the whole family took care of it. You had tons of people on top of you. You know, when Fred Mendiola's house had the fire, our family and other families went in, we scrubbed the walls, we helped to paint, we cleaned all the stuff where smoke and soot and ash and everything got on it. I mean, the villages come together. But here in the States, you know, you don't have that as much. You do in some of these smaller communities, you know, where something happens. I know that some of my friends, like David Moore and the guys in Greenville, if somebody's tractor broke down, there'd be three guys out there lifting that some a bitch, changing tires, doing this. Because they understand what happens if the crops go bad, if the hay doesn't get raked up and then baled up. They know what's going to happen with the cattle. It's that same village mentality. I didn't have that. So a few years ago, you know, I was learning about social media. Part of it was to communicate, but because... I had never been exposed to it the way most of the people in the States. I I have been, but I just never got into it. I didn't like some things about (coughs) instantaneous information. I love books. I like to read. But when I found like Wikipedia and Encarta and, you know, some of the things that along those lines, I got intrigued by it because where I didn't have access to the books, that's actually what got me started. Then got onto Facebook so I could keep in touch with my friends and family. Cause I was out in the middle of the ocean and then I was up in Alaska. And then when you talk about writing letters and you talk about doing things, they didn't understand that. There's like, why this is what we do. This is how our culture is now. So getting back to it. My biggest problem was I had no set culture. I did. I was a cornucopia of everywhere I'd been, every person I'd ever seen. And, I kind of reflected that, except when I crashed. When I crashed and almost commit suicide, one of the things I had to stop doing was thinking about where I had been, how they responded, and where I was at now, and how they didn't respond because they believed in giving you your privacy. You you should you man up, you do this. You you take care of this. What people don't understand or realize. And think about a time when it happened to you. You you were down. Uh, you may have had issues with the family. You may have had these events going on and people just didn't notice it. Or if they did, they avoided it because they had their own dramas, They had their own plights. They had their own family events going on, you know? And so they distance themselves to give you privacy, but also not to encumber themselves with additional stuff. It's kind of strange. I wish, You could go to Baguio City or Angeles City in 1974, be the only white kid walking around in some of these villages. I wasn't afraid. You know, I knew shit was happening. Bad things happened to some people, robberies, things like that. But for some reason, that community absorbed me because I absorbed them. I was curious about everything. I tried every food. I tried... You know, when they started doing the pole dancing, not pole dancing like you're thinking, they have bamboo sticks, they tap it on the ground, you jump in between it. You know, it It was so unique. And I come back to the States, you know, in between the Philippines, then Guam, then coming back and they going overseas again. You know, so I got reabsorbed. But when we got to Georgia, you know, back in 85, and I'm looking at these kids, they're looking at me and I'm wearing hang tan, Ocean Pacific, and they're wearing... Little, I think it was crocodiles, alligator. I don't know what the fuck they had on. They had all this, what I would call fancy clothes. They had polos. They had stuff. And I was like, what are you wearing? It it amazed me that they would take the time to dress up. And it's like, no, overseas, we just got dressed. What I'm wearing right now, I could wear out to the babula, the ranch. Uh, I'd put on pants like that when we're picking pineapples. And they're like, you pick pineapples? Well, yeah. I'm highly, you know, I, I fit right in this is what our village did. This is what we did as a community. It was strange. But again, I come to Tennessee, even though I'd been in the States, I'd been in CONUS for a while because I was with these people consistently for years during that project. You know, I saw that they had to develop sense of being, of who they were. They, were, they weren't strangers to anybody. You know what? You could go up to Matt Armstrong and say, Matt, who's that guy over there? Oh, that dumbass, that, that's Alan. You know, and this jackass over here is this. And they, nobody was offended because Matt had always been Matt. And when he described things, it was with the vibrance and the unique tone that he always did it. And I was like, damn Ambrose, you know, you, you're driving me crazy. But where it came to a head for me, even after all this inclusion and getting, you know, ready to learn these things, my wife would see you know, posts I put on Facebook, then trying to run all these websites because where I was accepting and developing and building on this new culture, I thought, well, to meet this culture, I've got to do this website for safety. And to meet this culture, I'd do this website for humor, uh, stupid shit. Uh, you know, then I had to have an Instagram account for me, for safety, for this. And I, I was going crazy. I was trying to keep up with everything and separate my business, my personal side, my exuberant side, my comedic side, and nobody else did that. But I didn't know that, and my wife would get so frustrated with me, and she'd tune me up and say, "Why are you doing all this?" and i I didn't have an answer. I didn't know me enough to say, well, what what do people want here in the states?" Because when I was in Alaska, again, I was in my community. I didn't have to exalt anything, no web page. People say, hey, Alan, we're doing this at this time. We need you to do this at this time. Roger that. We're there. We're on it. You know, when I was in Hawaii, same thing. I didn't have to guess. But where I was trying to develop and find myself, because I was the only stranger in every group I went to, I couldn't tell you. So in trying to build up who I am today, I broke it down into different segments. And think about it. Are you breaking yourself down or what you present What you give, can you honestly say, this is what I like. I don't like this. And tell people, no, I don't want to participate. Or I love this and I know you want something else, but I need to do for me. You know, it took being a part of so many different things to realize I was part of all of them. And then I come here thinking I had to realign when I didn't. And it took my wife saying, you're not going to change. You're always going to be you. You don't have to segment this into different accounts, different things, you know, stop it because she saw I was driving myself crazy and it was outlandish that you'd go to one thing. I'm funny on this one. I'm so serious. And she said, just be yourself. You don't have to get the attention from the safety groups. You don't need the attention from the people that, you know, this humor or what you find to be humorous. And You don't have to do all that shit. Just stop it. The people that are going to be a part of you, they're going to be there. The people that don't need to be around you, they're not going to be there. You know, we talked about Carl Jung. And one of the things that made me think about myself is he put a quote that knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. If you've been in a bad situation, You can see it in others that have been in a bad situation. If you've been in good, you can reflect that as well. Take a little bit of everywhere you've ever been, but keep your core the same. Find out who you are, what you like, and stand true to that. Don't do like I did. Try to appease so many different groups because it's not going to happen. You can't please everybody. You're not selling fucking ice cream. And if you are selling ice cream... I apologize. You guys make everybody happy, except for people lactose intolerance and go fuck them. Because if they grew up on milk and stuff, you know, what changed now? I don't know. I don't know. But I did. I changed because of all the great people, all my listeners who said, I love that you put this out. I love that you talk about this because I remember those days, times and events too. I love how you share this. To thine own self be true. And don't ever let yourself be the stranger. Stop and recognize who you are, where you're from, because you're always going to go back home. You're always going to go back to your core. And like me, where your core was spread over various continents throughout the Pacific Ocean in different places, you know, even though I was made in Montana, I didn't improve until I came to Tennessee. So all my Tennessee listeners all my friends that, you know, reached out to me from Chicago, all the people, all the great listeners out in California, um, Georgia, Georgia skyrocketing people I haven't heard from, you know, before, you know, just listening because it says, Hey, I know you came to Georgia. You went to school here. We thought we'd listen to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for helping the show grow. You know, your likes, your reviews, everything that other people are seeing, that's helping. I hope to help you. Plan your life according to the way you want it to end. Prepare for anything, good or bad, and accept it. If you can't change it, don't. Communicate what you learn. Communicate things that you want others to learn. And engage in everything you do unless you say no. Thank you for listening. Now get the fuck out of here. Enjoy your day.
1: You have been listening to Diary of a Bald Man. Alan Wofford has left the building.